Welcome to Life's a Beach. I'm Bruce Hopkins, better known as Hoppo from Bondi Rescue. Each week I'll be sharing some stories, the good, the bad and everything in between. I'll be chatting to guests about their life experiences and giving our listeners an insight to the challenges we have faced in our lives. We'll share a few jokes and some banter along the way and hopefully our experiences will resonate with you. As the saying goes, while life's a beach, it can also be a bitch. Hey everyone, this week on Life's a Beach, this person has grown up his whole life in Bondi. His name is Harris Saffron. Now he speaks about surfing, playing football, and being a clubby around Bondi Surf Club and also North Bondi Surf Club. He speaks about the venues growing up in Bondi, the ballroom dancing, and pretty much all the old school stuff that he enjoyed and we don't see much of these days. Now, the other thing is his uncle is Abe Saffron, which was the king of the cross back in the day. So let's sit back and have a listen to Harris's stories. Okay, this week in the Beach Shack, it's a pleasure. Now, this guy has been around for a long, long time around Bondi. He has some amazing stories that he's going to tell us. So I can't wait to hear him because I know a fair bit about Bondi, but I think he knows a lot more than I do. So welcome to the Beach Shack, Harris Saffron. How are you, mate? I'm good, thank you, buddy. Age has its privileges. I guess we, well, I can go back a bit further than you can. Going back, (laughs) actually, even to the war, to uh, when when the beach was actually being protected for the possible invasion. I remember the uh, blocks on the beach, etc., etc., etc. All sorts of defences were there. I remember, for instance, when the cutter ball went up. Yep. What happened? Uh, do you you aware of that one? No, that's I don't know about that one. So uh, right. give us a give us right. a rundown well, on that. The uh, Japanese midget submarine came in behind uh, a ship because there was a big boom across the heads, and the Japanese uh, midget submarines came in. Two of them, I think. I think there were five altogether. Some were off the heads. Anyway, they uh, they fired a torpedo at a ship and hit a ferry, and the ferry was cuttable, and it actually went down. There's quite a few lives lost. It was uh, quite a tragedy. Uh, I remember seeing the whole thing as a five or five year old. I think I must have been five or six year old. My uncle lived at Bellevue Hill and right near the top of the hill near the school and he had a view all the way down to Luna Park. So I can vividly remember the flash as the cutable went up as a wee little guy like that. How about that, eh? That's amazing, mate. And, and so at that age, did you understand that it was – a start like of, of a war was it something that you realised, or you just didn't have any idea what was going on? Well, well, we knew there we knew we knew there was a, it was relation to the war. We didn't know about that particular thing going on at that time. What happened was the uh, the sirens went off, and so we went up, as I said, to my uncle's house, who had the protective uh, areas there. And I should tell you, at these times, by the way. 
all the way around the heads, etc., etc., was all in defence mode. And as a kid, myself and many others played around in the uh, up, up, up in Dover Heights amongst the gun emplacements up there after the war. Had many a little game up there, the back of uh, Bondi Golf Club. So that was uh, a bit of fun up there, actually. <laughs> so the carnival went up. I remember that, as I say, very, very clearly. And it's also, I think what people don't understand is what a difference the outfalls have made. Now, if you go back to early day, early, early days Bondi, there was two, not one, outlet on the beach, which were draining in there of all sorts of rubbish that I might add, us kids played in and never got any diseases. I've got to tell you that. <laughs> Hello, mums of today, you scaredies. <laughs> you wouldn't know that your kids near this fetid thing that we used to play in. <laughs> and never had a problem, mate. Never, never had a problem. So you're so you saying when you are, so five-year-old growing up, and yeah. so how was that? How was that at, at Bondi? So you're five and then... You went into, you know, your schooling. Well, I go, and I'm going to Bondi Public. I go to Bondi yep. Public School. Yep. Uh, which I went to for, I'm not sure how many years now, because we finished up, my father bought a hotel at Balmain called the West End Hotel. And we moved in from Bondi uh, to Balmain. And I went from a Bondi Public School to Balmain Public School. Bit of an awakening, I might say, for a little fellow <laughs> like me. And uh, due to the fact that the, they didn't want me growing up or my sister around the hotel, I, I, I went to boarding school, which I absolutely hated. Hmm. As a Jewish boy, with only one other Jewish boy in the place, we used to get plenty going on until we got into sixth class, as I remember. No, I wasn't in sixth class. A fella called Ralph Back. He was he was the school bully, and a fella called David Emmanuel, who actually played rugby for Australia. They just uh, Ralph Back was the hottest anti-Semite of all time, and uh, he, he he rubbed he rubbed David Emmanuel the wrong way. So they went down the back as good school boys do, <laughs> and we all made a nice big ring, and away they went to each other, and David Emmanuel just splattered him straight in the eye. And Ralph Back had the best black eye you've ever seen and never gave us another day's problem. <laughs> <laughs> so that was David well, Emmanuel, who played for Australia, I, I think. Yeah. I think Dave might have played for Australia. Well, isn't it amazing how, like back then, you know, the, someone had a disagreement. It was, a, you know, a bit of a fisty cuffs. Other guys were, were around watching Compared to the era today where you don't know whether someone's just going to stab you or glass you or... There's no knives. There's no kicking. They, 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 you know, they'd have a fight and whoever went down, that was the end of it. But then, of course, I mean, I mean, I come from people from another country. I mean, my grandfather came uh, from Poland. Thank God, I'm so glad he did in <laughs> 1908. Otherwise, I'd have been a shish kebab. But... Uh, he actually came over here in 1908 and uh, established a, uh, himself. Actually, I believe he was in New Zealand for a while as well. And then he had a haberdashery store in Haymarket. So I spent a lot of my younger life down in that area. 
which I've always liked, funnier thing. I've always loved that area. Uh, a bit more colour than uptown. <laughs> of course, and, and, of course, the Chinese restaurants that are there now, in those days there was one Chinese restaurant. I think it was in George Street. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> have a look at what you've got now. Amazing. Now, as I just say, they call it Chinatown now, don't they? So. Oh, oh, that's fantastic. I mean, the, the growth in Sydney is fantastic. I mean, whether it's for the better or not, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to sound like an old bloke being a grizzler or anything, but it seems that with the prosperity uh, has come a lack of tolerance. Mm. Or not a, yeah, we were not, whereas before you could rub each other the wrong way, it wouldn't make any difference, right? In the long run, but now it's all so personal, which it wasn't before, was it? Yeah. No, no. Even my era growing up wasn't personal. It's was still a, you know, a disagreement. It was a disagreement. It was basically an even fight when you had to do that. And you know, I think this uh, day and age is just totally different. And um, kids growing up now, it's it's a, a, a total different environment to what it was back then. And so, how was it when you in teenage years oh. around Bondi? Well, well, I was in, I, I joined Bondi uh, Bondi Surf Club as a cadet, so uh, that's about the time you'd like to talk about, I suppose. Yeah. So I'm I'm what am I, my fifteen or sixteen or whatever it is, and <laughs> what an awakening! <laughs> what an awakening! <laughs> I mean, Jesus Christ, we had some we had some tough dudes in that club. I'll tell you, I believe in the club, the Bondi in those years was the premier club. By, uh, I think that the reason I was there because of the Murray brothers. Mrs. Murray was very good friends with my grandmother, who lived up Boonara Street, and Mrs. Mrs. Murray lived just down the road. So Barry and Kevin Murray, they were my reason for joining the surf movement. Saved me from a fate worse than death. I would have probably died at, <laughs> at an earlier age, and, and the surf club was sort of put. It's not. It's it, it's a it's a terrific place, but not a place to, to make a prick of yourself. You might say. <laughs> you uh, they pull you into gear very very quickly, which I did learn one way or the other. <laughs> and as a young fellow, we knew how to, how way to get back too. <laughs> but I think the toughest bloke that I struck I, I struck in all that time was Gordon Harmon by a long long way. He was sweet for Bondi, and I I would say that Barry Murray was the best man in the water that I've seen yeah, with the belt. Yeah. He was fantastic. Are you aware of the Murrays at all? No, I haven't really heard of the Murray. So that's – what era would that be? Was that going back well, to what, what the – We're going to be talking about the 50s now. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. No, I haven't heard of the, the Murrays. But then I graduated to uh, to all of a sudden – Also, all of a sudden I found South Bondi. That's right. I started riding my surfboard, right? Yeah. All coming back to me now. And I, I kicked off with this board which weighed nearly as much as I did. And carrying the board down to the beach and back over a 12-month period, I went from a seven-and-a-half stone weekly to nine-and-a-half stone of muscle. <laughs> it was quite incredible, really. And I was actually competing with wrestling at that time as well at the boys' club. Uh, I was introduced to the boys' club by Arthur Norburn. Do you know the Norburns at all? I've heard the name, but I don't, yeah. Yeah, the real estate, and he owns uh, the hotel on the corner in uh, 
what do you call it? Ravisis. Ravisis, yeah. Yeah. He owns Ravisis, uh, the son. I'm talking about the, the father, of course, yeah, now. Yeah. And uh, very nice people, the Norburns, top people. Boys like them. Uh, what else were we talking about there? Oh, yeah, so we used to, we used to wrestle. I wrestled down at Bondi Surf Club with a fellow called Charlie Gale, who was, was a wrestling coach at that time. There's nothing like that now at the clubs anymore. No, I noticed that. There's nothing. I think society's so, you know, if, if parents see kids wrestling, it's like, they they blow up. You can't do this. You can't do that. And but I think the old days it really teaches you resilience. It teaches you toughness. It teaches you how to get through life. Don't you think? Well, it's the way I've heard it is described as we leave home after breakfast and come home for dinner. <laughs> now where have you been? I mean, God, that don't even ask. Yeah, yeah. Not even ask. Well, but yeah. if I needed to be found, I could be found pretty quickly as well. So as we lived near Dover Heights uh, Girls' School uh, in Nancy Street. So yeah. I spent a lot of time on the ovals up there, kicking balls and doing this and doing that and yeah. what have you and enjoying that's, the fantastic view. Plus, That's uh, where I went to school. I went, went to school, school there. there. Yep, yep, the old Dover Heights. I went to the boys' school for one year, year seven, up when the boys' school was up further in Hardy Street, and then right. year eight we went down, it went co-ed, which, uh-huh. was, um, which was quite good as a, a, a young boy, and then suddenly going to a co-ed school was, uh, was a lot better than just being at a boys' school, I can tell you. Yep. Uh, sort of going back to all that area and all that, Jesus, some good sorts came from our area. Sue Galley, Miss Australia, Jennifer Hawkins, our current lady, and, oh, who's the best sort of all time that we had there? Oh, oh, she's got the famous photo on the promenade. I, I was there when they were taking the shot. She's under the shower. And uh, I must say that I nearly burnt my sneakers up the way I, I came to such a abrupt <laughs> hall. What's her name? I can't think of her name. She lived at the, lived at the back of Bondi there. Uh, such a beautiful girl and a beautiful <laughs> person too, I might add. That era, though... Coming through, that would have been the, um, the the days of the bikini started to come in, and yes. there was an uproar on the bikinis. So tell us a bit about that. No uproar from me, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was all for it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my sister! Oh, my sister's got a, a, a famous photo on Bondi in a white bikini, and she, I mean, she was absolutely smashing. I'm not kidding you. Beautiful, beautiful girl and uh, very dark tan, beautiful smile with the white bikini on. It, well, I think it went, it went viral, didn't it, in those days? What you call viral, it was in the newspapers and things like that. I remember I remember the um, looking at the history where in those days the lifeguards were, were called beach inspectors and they had to go around and measure the uh, <laughs> the costume to make sure it's the right, oh. the right length. I can't imagine... Yeah, me going around doing that today would have been... Uh, well, I'd say all blade law was yep. as good a swimmer I've ever seen in my bloody life. Yep. Strong, strong man. And what what a very, what a time he gave us blokes. You <laughs> went six inches out of the board area. You, They snap your board, they take it. Because yeah. in those days you had to register the board. Yeah, they just take the board. And you just didn't dare argue with him. You, I don't know. I don't know if you ever bought anyone, but I think 
he'd have no trouble. He was a big man, wasn't he? He was a, a big, solid very man. Very strong, yeah. powerful man. And not all the breaches were very popular. One bloke there, his name should not be mentioned. <laughs> yeah, probably in the archives there anyway. <laughs> oh, no, no. Well, they say, no names, no pack drill, but out of all the beaches I've ever known, he's the only one I thought was was, yeah. was, was, was over the top. And he wasn't aware of it. I told him a couple of times, but he, yeah. he just... He just didn't understand why he was so unpopular. Not like, not like you, mate. Not, he didn't have your charm. Yeah, I'm glad that you know I've uh, I've got you on side. That's the uh, that was the big thing of being a lifeguard. I've got, got to get on <laughs> Harris's good side. Well, then you, then you get to talk to his beautiful daughters. <laughs> That's right. There's there's always a, a plot there, in there somewhere. Now, when you were growing up, obviously you got to the age of, you know, 18 plus and there's plenty going on in Bondi. Tell us a bit about the, you know, when everyone used to get out and about and in the different places and clubs and that around Bondi. It was all about dancing. Mm. It was all dancing, drinking to some extent, but mostly dancing. We, between the age of, say, 18 and, say, 30, for instance, when I went, when I went overseas, it was all about dancing. Well, my wife and I were great dancing partners. We, you know, used to used to love dancing, and we impressed people with our various little moves. <laughs> <laughs> I can move like Jaggy, you know. Really. And I hear you've got some pretty special moves, <laughs> <laughs> Nick. Who? Nick? Who? <laughs> That's Harris. <laughs> Do you think that? Um, that era, you know, I mean, I look at it today and there's not much around Bondi where, where kids, you know, teenagers to into their 20s, there's not much happening for people to well, what it was back in the day. Quite a good reason for the whole thing is that, uh, is that Sydney was the music capital of the world. Now, as a dancer, you could probably understand that I, I just love, I would go anywhere for music out to Parramatta, out to Liverpool for dances and things like that. That's how keen we were. Albert Palais, very popular at Leichhardt, go out there, managed to get my car stolen from there once. I wonder why, Leichhardt. (laughs) (laughs) Back in the day, my poor old father's holding FJ. (laughs) He wouldn't have been happy about that. He was not happy. (laughs) <laughs> we got it, but we got it back. So I mentioned Arthur Norburn, didn't I? Yep. Uh, Charlie Gale. They were, they were uh, Arthur Norburn was Bondi Boys Club. Did you know about Bondi Boys Club? Yeah, was that the one that uh, was in the pavilion? No, or Bondi. No, it was no. on Bondi Road. Okay, yep. You know where the church is there? Yeah, I know it on is. On the yep. right, as you go up, one of the side streets. I can't remember the name of the street. Well, there's a boys' club there, and and, uh, and and that's where we went to. You know what you say? You, you can take the boy out of Bondi, but you can't take Bondi out of the boy, can you? <laughs> no, that's right. <laughs> so what was that like? Did you learn to at the boys' club? Was it a, you know, you said you wrestled. Was there boxing and things as well? There boxing, gymnastics. It's a lot of gymnastics. I, I represented the state. In the Maccabean Games in gymnastics, 
we went up to Queensland. Uh, I, I was, at that stage, I was uh, coming on to my permits. So I was, what, 16 years, 10 months. So it must have been about February or whatever it was. And I remember my, <laughs> my silly mates let me drive on the way home. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> how, we, how we survived that, I'll never know. <laughs> but good days, you know. We, you can sort of... You could you, you could do you could do things because there was that there wasn't any that many people around you know mm. drive like lunatics etc 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 of course the police were never happy about it and we we're always getting pinched for one thing or another <laughs> and uh, there used to be a lot of bikies down the beach as well which uh, was a bit unpleasant for a certain period of time uh, where were we aside that I've got made a few notes about. Nightclubs, lifesaver that was there. Did you know about that? Yeah, talk about the uh, lifesaver club. That was uh, something it was up I have heard Junction, about. Right? Yep. There was, was uh, what's there now? It must be that uh, that that big uh, building. It's Westfield, part of Westfield. Westfield, isn't it? Um, of course. Yeah. Uh, of course, we had this nightclub with this huge drop behind it. The reason I'm mentioning that is that Robert Barrett, Robert G. Barrett. Do you know where you aware of Bobby I've, Barrett? I've uh, I've read some of his books. Well, I've read every one of them, and I've actually got one here, the very first one called uh, "You Wouldn't Be Dead for Quids." Yeah, which I've is read that. Bit, which is fantastic. Actually, some people say a fellow called Dougza Davis was uh, supposed to be the uh, model for his uh, his shall we say hero, <laughs> Lance <Right. Morton. laughs> <laughs> he was a he was a very strange bloke, Bobby. Very tough man, obviously. Uh, a doorman became an author. It's a story in itself, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Uh, I've got all of his books here, actually. And as I say, the, the original one, which there was only a thousand printed of the first one, and oh, it's wrapped up. Otherwise, I would get my daughter to show it to you. But he's inscribed inside in the to me. Say hello to Abe. <laughs> <laughs> Robert G. Barrett, right? Yeah, because all the stories were, were, they say they were true stories. He just changed well, they, names. They, they, they're and, and they're, they're recognisable characters. Yeah, yeah. Recognisable yeah. characters and and the way things were, you know. They were tough times, mate, tough people. Mm. Yeah. I mean, imagine that. We were tough people and the people were before us, were even tougher. Yeah, yeah. Very tough people. Well, you you, you touched on um, Abe, who is your uncle, Abe Saffron. The Saffron name's quite big. He tell us a bit about Abe, your uncle, because he was known as the King of the Cross. Well, he was at, at, at some stage. Well, he was the King so, of the Cross. I mean, let's face it. Let's face it. But what he did is not illegal today. Yeah. How about that? He wasn't selling drugs. He wasn't selling drugs. He was selling liquor. And both yep. uh, both him and my father got busted over, over taking the, the booze from their hotels and uh, putting them in the clubs, right? Because you get such a premium on the on on the on the on the on the beer. So uh, that then became the liquor commission, Justice Dovey. 
growled out there and that was the end of the saffrons and pubs. So <laughs> my father then, oh, God bless him, he bought a delicatessen at Kingston. The worst thing he could ever have done in his life. It was terrible. And then he uh, went into cabs. So he bought uh, two semis at Bondi and he sold one semi for what he paid for the two. So my mother never forgave him. She said, don't sell, don't sell, don't sell. She said, but we've got a free house. She knew. She just knew. <laughs> well, I don't know what those two houses are worth today. I mean, two semis there at, uh, in Nancy Street. Oh, you'd be millions, millions and millions now. Well, you're probably talking... Eight million for the two or something, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's all monopoly money, mate. It's not real money, is it? <laughs> so, how much would it have been back in those days when they when they bought that place? Ten thousand pounds, which in equivalent is a lot of money, I suppose. Back, back. Well, then not really. Well. I mean, yeah, it, it, you've got to understand. Bondo was a different place, mate. As I say, the uh, the wafting from the uh, stink pipe. Every time the wind was in the wrong direction, it was not particularly pleasant, right? <laughs> the water, the water itself was not clean under certain circumstances. I mean, as I said, I think I, I'd said to you that I seen a big shark coming right next to that kid's buggy hole in that channel, and I mean a big shark. I mean, you just don't see them or, th- or anything like that these days. Otherwise, this little bloke wouldn't be swimming the bay like <laughs> By the way, I always swim that bay confident, confident <laughs> in the thought that those boys up there in their ivory tower are watching me what I'm doing. That's right, mate. We don't miss much. We we, we cut your eye on you every time, every lap you do. <laughs> well, there's, there's, there's a few of us out there now. I never used to be many of us out there before, mate. Oh, there's a lot of people uh, swimming the bay now. I remember, and probably back in your day growing up, would you have seen many people swimming the bay? No, I mean, now no in fact, I'll tell you how I swam. I, I started swimming the bay. I was never a distance swimmer. A fellow called Bruce Gingell. Do you know who yep, he is? Yeah, yeah, David Gingell's father. That's right. Okay. Uh, that was in uh, Channel Nine. Channel I think, Nine. Was one of the first. Yeah. One of the first people on TV. Yep. That's 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 that was Bruce. Bruce, a lovely man, and also was a bay swimmer. So I saw, I saw him there one day. Because I, 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 I knew Bruce because I was in the TV industry, and he encouraged me to have a crack at it. He said, "Take it easy." He said, "Go and do a." Uh, don't do half to start. I said, da, da, da. Work your way up to one. He said, you'll finish up doing two, which I did. I used to swim up up, up and back, right? Now I just do the one if I can get out the south end. I mean, there, was no, there wasn't a hundred surfboard riders there that couldn't ride in those days. Imagine some of those great surfboard riders that we produced in that south end, and I mean some of the, some of the world's best. There was I amongst them, mate, getting in the way of everybody. Everybody. <laughs> <laughs> now, there's been some great surfers come through, come through Bondi, and I remember a time. Do you remember a time you uh, were swimming and you got in a whole lot of blue bottles stung you? Yep. Yeah, I certainly do. But th- that was horrible, you know, because I, I, I it, I, it happened to me 
not far off North Bondi Surf Club, and wrapped around my groin, around my chest, just terrible. I got to the beach and I was groveling in the sand. I mean, groveling. Do you think anyone came out and asked me if there's anything wrong with me? <laughs> anyone? No. Not a soul, mate. No. no. Not a soul. So as you might understand, I'm very wary now when the easterly wind blows, mate. That easterly wind. <laughs> <laughs> See the easterly wind, you better watch out. <laughs> <laughs> it could be a, um, yeah, it's a horrific pain, isn't it? I oh, know. When we're doing rescues, it's easily win. There's plenty of blue bottles and you've, you've got to go in and do a rescue. It's nothing worse. You end up getting stung while you're trying to pull someone out of the can water. You, but... When you do that, do you wear a, can, can you wear a, a gear all over you, like a, like a, a top, of, top, of, top of long, long, long things or something? Yeah, normally you haven't got time in summer, so you just, you're just going in your boardies and, and you end up getting really stung. So it's not the, not the best days. Do you get used to it? You do get a bit used to it, but, I mean, there's still – different um, strengths in the blue bottles that sometimes there'll be a batch that sting you but it's not too bad then there's a batch that'll sting you that'll it'll go to your groin and you'll, you'll be in a fair bit of pain the little, red, I mean, the little, bre- the little ready ready blue things or whatever they are yeah yeah well I mean that's the risk we take I mean if you're going to play in the ocean you've got to take what the ocean's going to give you but uh, if you've got any sense you just do it sensibly I mean I I don't know Many other beaches that I do what I do at, I wouldn't do it at Maroubra. I don't think I would, although I've got mates of mine at Maroubra. I guess they must swim across Maroubra Bay. But uh, something I'd never thought about I'd like to do. I don't mind swimming in the harbour, strangely enough. Well, it's probably even worse. <laughs> With uh, You mentioned you you're in Bondi Surf Club and then you joined North Bondi. Is that, why did you join... Why'd you join North Bondi? Ah, what happened there? I put my son as a nipper. He didn't want to go into Bondi because all of his mates were at North Bondi. Uh, That's how North Bondi became so attractive to everyone. Plus, uh, in these latter years with the protective mothers, uh, Bondi is a little bit bit more fearsome than North Bondi, let's face it. If you're going to have a little one there, but I know who draw. I know which ones I'd rather have in the water. Painting <laughs> them, the ones from the middle have got to be better, under yeah. most circumstances. So uh, the blueies, that's something else. Uh, Charlie Gale, I mentioned Bondi Boys Clubs. Did I tell you about Chip Rafferty? Oh, well, Chip Rafferty, you, you don't know who Chips was, unfortunately. Chips was a uh, was was a big time movie star, very tall, lanky man. Played all sorts of parts. A very nice guy. The reason I mention is he lived uh, three doors away from my uh, from my grandmother, and uh, that's how I knew Chips. That's the reason I mentioned. So, I, as a kid, I played golf with him down at Wallara Golf Club. Yeah, my grandfather had five children, three boys and two girls. Not like today, eh? <laughs> <laughs> It's a bit different today, isn't it? Do you, do you, do you look back at the, your, your day then and now you look at, say, your kids, their era and the kids of today, and you, you see a lot of it because you, you still get around the beach and around the surf clubs. Do you see it's hard to compare eras, but do you think today's kids aren't as tough as what the kids were back in the day? Oh, so doubt. 
They don't have to be. Mm. So why should they be? Are they the top competitors are obviously better because they each each generation gets better, don't they? Gets bigger, stronger, faster, whatever it may be, right? Otherwise, you wouldn't keep getting records broken and things such as that. Uh, I think that I think people are getting bigger. The kids themselves. Uh, what I see down at down at well, my closest association with the young ones is the surf race on Sundays that I that I, I swim in. Right. I have the proud proud uh, going off a minute thirty in C grade. I've worked my way up from go. <laughs> I'm off a minute thirty. I should be off go, but I, but I won too many races the previous year. <laughs> kids today, I think what have they, the kids today have got more options, far more options than what I would have had or you would have had. First of all, we we didn't have these devices, computers for to take up so much of our time. We actually spoke to each other. We didn't have a mobile phone. We actually had to, if you want to talk to someone, you had to pick the bloody phone up and use the rotary dial, right? <laughs> uh, or go and put two pennies in the, in, in the red box, right? <laughs> no mobile phone. But we still managed to get together. We had some fabulous parties. Oh, wow. Terrific parties. Especially when I moved up the cross. <laughs> <laughs> well that was the heyday wasn't it the cross the cross even when i grew up in my teenage years and, and early 20s the cross was still the you know the place to go it was basically yeah. open 24 7 well, let's face it i was up there and i was well protected yeah. so i was a bit over the top i say to be frank with you <laughs> the young fella you, you sort of uh, get a couple of hard knocks and you learn you learn how to smarten yourself up eventually which I like to think that I did. Actually, the big change in my life came in my 40s, to be honest with you. I got pancreatitis at the age of 44, and uh, that was the end of drinking. I stopped drinking, and my entire life changed. I went from being a child of the period that we're talking about, which was all drunk and rowdy parties, etc., 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 to a sober life and uh, it's quite strange because all my friends were all drugs. <laughs> so, I was going to the pub and drinking soft drinks and all that. Well, that didn't last very long. So that was about it. So it was a big change in my life. And at that time, I actually was very fortunate to see this young lady bring her into the life. <laughs> Yeah, you did well there, very well. So I certainly did. <laughs> well, her mother's a, mother's a, one, was a wonderful woman. I was very lucky. Another 10 years I lasted. <laughs> In some respects, very important 10 years because Ellie's very, 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 very important to me uh, because she's the only one that's here. <laughs> <laughs> My son, uh, by the way, uh, you're where he's captain of Bondi, of, of, of North Bondi? Did I tell you yep. that? I used to paddle with him a fair bit. All oh, right, so you know no way about him and Dino then? Yep. They, that they held the Hawkesbury record? Yep, they held that. Oh, it's about my life, mate. They were, um, 
Yeah, Paul was um, a good paddler. He was paddling when I started paddling, and we used to um, – because I grew up at Bronte, so, but we used to do a fair bit of training with, um, with Paul and Dean. Oh, right, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's when I started. That's probably my first uh, ski paddling experience was with those guys. How old are you now? I'm 53. Gosh, you don't look a day over 50, fair nigga. <laughs> I still think I'm about 30, 20-something. Well, well yeah. the, moment, the moment you stop thinking like that, you'll get old because I still <laughs> think I'm 40, so you work it out for yourself. <laughs> well, I must be 20. <laughs> well, that's exactly right. So, yeah, you jump in the bay, you swim the bay or whatever you do. Yeah. Well, straight away, Dr. Bondi's just sent you back, a, you know, give me a few years back. <laughs> that's right, that's right. So we're, both aging, we're both aging like a, uh, like a good red wine. Uh, <laughs> a bit like flat beer, mate. You're the good red wine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, Harris, it's, it's great hearing your stories and it's something that uh, people like listening to. They like listening to, to what happens, you know, in Bondi. Yeah, I don't think there's anything I've left out. Shift Rafferty, I told you about that. Oh yeah, well, the, well, of course. Well, you know that that uh, Abe, Abe loved to promote. Uh, he did love to do promotions. Well, he uh, he brought Frank Sinatra out here. What happened was there was a fellow called Lee Gordon, an entrepreneur. He was a terrific bloke. I like Lee a lot. Very, very, very modern, up to date bloke, and a very game promoter. And uh, what happened was that uh, Frank Sinatra owed Lee Gordon a favour. And as such, uh, Lee Gordon got involved with my uncle to bring Frank Sinatra out. In other words, my uncle put the dough up to bring him out. So that was, that was pretty exciting. And then uh, another another thing they put on at the old stadium. Remember the old stadium down in Rushgutters Bay? Yep. Uh, they put the jazz concert on there. And uh, boy, oh boy, that was fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, I'll never forget that Nina Simone uh, came in singing Serenata and she started singing from the, from the top at the back of the stadium, all the way onto the stage. It was absolutely outstanding. And all those shows that they put down there at, the, at, at Rushcutters Bay were fabulous. And they had the uh, wrestling there and the boxing. A lot of things were going on, a lot of things, in our old Sydney town. Yeah, it's a shame that a lot of that doesn't happen now, you know, around the uh, eastern suburbs. Oh, poker machines, mate. It's just the poker machines yeah. have destroyed everything from a social point of view. A, they're, they're, they're picking people's pockets for hundreds of millions of dollars. It's just a shame. And, you know, it's sort of, whereas there used to be entertainment all the time, as I mentioned, all those rooms that they use for entertainment are now, uh, now got poker machines in them. So yeah. that's just, uh, just, just a change in everything. Things don't always change for the better, do they? No, not always, but uh, anyway, we've got to keep moving with the moving with the times, don't we? Was uh, nothing ever cha- uh, stays the same? Yeah, I tell you, we lived out at Mortdale for a while. You lived at you lived at Mortdale for a while, yeah. 
Mortdale Hotel. Uh, we were operating that hotel, my father. Uh, that was that's a bit of a change out there, Mortdale, for a boy from the beach. And uh, the the city I mentioned, Bondi Boys Club. Uh, oh, my house in Sir Thomas Mitchell Road, which I don't even want to talk about. So, so when you're talking about your uh, uncle Abe Saffron, yeah, he was known, and and a lot of people knew him as the the King of the Cross. But what was he really like? You knew him, yeah, as, as oh, good as anybody else. He was his own man. The point that he lived his life, and regardless of whatever, that was his life, and and he lived it. And uh, it's as simple as that. I mean, uh, he had arrangements that he had. Sort of, he lived a very, very, very unusual life with having a number of homes, a number of women in them, and things such as that. Uh, I met a few of the women; they were all good people. And uh, his his wife, Doreen, was a lovely woman, except in the end, she was just fed up with the whole situation, unfortunately. So, with the cross, did he run? He ran a lot of the, the, the pubs and things in the cross in those days. He ran, uh, he ran mostly clubs, mostly clubs. He had the Gladstone Hotel in William Street, the Philip Hotel, which was in Philip Street, is now a great big office building. Uh, we had the West End Hotel at Balmain, the Mortdale Hotel at Mortdale. Oh, of course, and of course, the nightclub that he ran, the Roosevelt. You know all about that. I have heard the name, but I don't know the story. So tell us the the story about it. In, in Orwell Street, you go to Orwell Street, and it's now the uh, as you go into Orwell Street, it's a nice white building on your on your on your right as you go down Orwell, and it's now uh, MGM or something like that. Yep. One somewhere one of the things. Right across the road from there used to be Two KY. And uh, yep, I know where Two KY was. That was right. Uh, yeah. So you know that they used to broadcast there with the window there, and in uh, those back back in the day, I didn't think you'd have known that. They were surprised. <laughs> huh? No, I knew that because I worked at Two GB originally too when I left school. Ah, <laughs> yeah. Well, what do we have? We had uh, then Mortdale. Uh, sorry, then. Two KY, and, and and then there was next to that was the nightclub, Abe's nightclub. So that was all going on up there, and of course I was going around out like an absolute rat bag. <laughs> was it rough times then? Was it rough times in the cross in those days? Oh bloody oath, bloody oath! But plenty of blues, but no, nothing like goes on today. No knives, no kicking, none of that stuff. That's all. That's all latter day stuff. A lot of sly grogging, a lot of after hours drinking in illicit, in illicit places, right? Yeah. And and that's where a lot of the trouble came from. Uh, plus a lot of uh, illegal gambling houses. If you read uh, you read Bobby Barrett's book, <laughs> he talks about Puscalisi. Which was Perscalia, right? So Perscalia and uh, and his partner, they had uh, they had a couple of joints in, in William Street, and they obviously they had the police on side for quite a long time. And uh, they were off. Did I say tell you about the two up in the old days? No, I haven't heard of uh, Tomo's two up. That's you, you have to look it up. 
if you go down uh, down the railway, down near the railway, there was a, a big building just off, uh, off off Elizabeth, and there was a big ring. Well, it was actually a square, and it had a had a big tarp on the on the on the on the thing, right? And it, it, there were two up again, and uh, all the personalities of the day would be there. <laughs> Your radio personalities. I remember uh, Jack Davy, for instance. You wouldn't know about who Jack Davy was. Oh, I heard, I have heard the name. Yeah, you know, Jack Davy was the man. You know, he he was the absolute bee's knees of the radio. See blokes like him there, and uh, just that was that, that were the days of radio. I'll tell you, Bob <laughs> Dyer, Jack Davy, Howard Craven. I remember as a kid going into uh, into the near the railway, the radio station there, two ch, going there for the Howard Craven show. <laughs> uh, fantastic! You yeah, made you made, my, you made my brain work with this, haven't you? <laughs> You're working well, working well. Well, I tell you, I tell you, who really loves it is my my young daughter here. She's. She never knew any of this stuff. It's been a revelation for her, mate. It's a, it's amazing stories. Now I'm going to throw. I do a segment five fun facts. So I'm going to throw five questions at you, right. and you can answer them any way you want to answer them. Okay. All right. Okay. Right. Here, we, here we go. Best thing about Bondi. Oh, well, the beach, obviously. Yeah. What are you most proud of? My family. Favourite childhood memory? Well, I hate to be repetitive, but once again, it's Bondi by a mile, by a country mile. I mean, I used to love going to the Easter show, obviously. Uh, when the Easter show was uh, was at the showground, I used to love going there. That, so from that point of view, that's a, that's a memory that I, that I really enjoyed. And I finished up working as an adult, went there as a kid, worked in the Easter show as an adult, and then went out to uh, to uh, to where it is now uh, for a, for a small period of time, but it was really good when it was th- when it was there in the showground. It was fantastic. Yeah, I used to go a fair bit um, to the showground as a kid. The Easter oh, show. Oh, I used to like the ring events and all that. Oh, there's one thing that I did do that Abe did that that you love to know about the Hollywood Tournament of Thrills. Ah, this brings a smile to your face. <laughs> I brought out a group called the Hell Drivers, which was the Hollywood Tournament of Thrills. And it was 1955, and I was on my permits, so it must have been about February or whatever it was. So anyway, uh, we went out. With, the show was on at the showground. They had these Ford Fairlane sedans with six-cylinder motors, which we didn't know about in this country at that time. And with the lighter motor, they could do all sorts of things and they did them, four or five of them together and they over the top and this and that and da-da-da-da-da. And then they had the motor bloke, Blake doing his stuff, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But there was, there was a blue with the motorcycle bloke, right, and uh, who was the clown. By the way, sorry, the motorcycle bike was a clown. And so 
he, he quit so he didn't have a clown. So, uh, <laughs> 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 so I was the clown, right? <laughs> so here was I jumping on the bloke's motorbike and now I found out how he could do it then because it was all rigged up so it was as tight as anything so you could jump up and stand on it and uh, and go round and round and round with no problem at all. So I'm a clown doing this. You think the real clown didn't get the shits about it, I'll tell you. <laughs> so with the same thing, we, we, we took off after that to take a trip around Australia with the show. And uh, I was down at Wagga and the motorbike, we had a motorcycle bloke from uh, one of those blokes that could race the motorcycles around and around and around. So he's teaching me how to do this at Wagga Showground, right? So we went through that. Uh, and actually, so take off, so I want you to lean into the first corner like I showed you. Brace with the outside foot, etc., etc. right? Da, 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 da. So I've taken off and... Uh, <laughs> And of course, what's happened is I hadn't, I hadn't put the footrest back up. Right. So I let into the first corner. You understand? Of course, you know what's happened. <laughs> and I'm there in a pair of shorts. <laughs> Off I went into the gravel, into Wagga Hospital. <laughs> so I travel around, busted up for a while, and then my father. Oh wow! Another thing we were. The same show, we had uh, a semi-trailer and all these cars and we're going across the Nullarbor. And then there was no bitumen in the Nullarbor. It was all, it was all, it was all, uh, dirt. or whatever dirt, it was. Dirt, was it? Yeah. Dirt. It was actually dirt, of course, right? So I'll never, I'll never forget, we'd, we had one of the cars which we'd been bashing up a bit, which we could still drive aboard. We could drive them, we took them with us. And one of the guys who was uh, asleep in the back of the car, as he was breathing in, was like you saw in the movies. You could see a trail of dust going into his <laughs> nose, to his God. <laughs> going across the Nullarbor in that time. And then, uh, of course, when we got across the Nullarbor, with, I think it's Horsham's the first place, if I remember correctly. Anyway, we all jumped in the pool there and discolored it immediately. Oh, it was unbelievable. <laughs> so we took, they went across to Perth with that show. So that was pretty exciting. Yeah, mate, that would have been, um, yeah, very exciting. Well, especially for a young bloke like me. Got drugged for the first time in my life. <laughs> uh, the next question, what would you name your boat if you had one? Lucky. Already yeah. had one. And favourite favorite takeaway food? Asian. Beautiful. Well, uh, Harris, mate, it's been uh, great having a chat, having you in the beach shack and telling you stories about Bondi. So, mate, we'll, uh, I'll catch up with you soon at Bondi. Well, it's nice to be in the shack and be able to go so far back. Go back in the shack. I like that. Very good. Thank you for this opportunity. I really appreciate it. Apart from everything else, you've made my brain work and, and taken me back so far. <laughs> now let's go to Beach Banner. Okay, this week in the Beach Shack, it's a pleasure for the first time. He's been around for a fair while. Josh Burke. Berkey, how are you, mate? 
Good hop, how things, or should I say Bruce? <laughs> yeah, mate, I'll, the, the Gons is going to pay for that. He, he, <laughs> he, he started that and everyone's just gone with it. So, mate, we'll, uh, I can't wait to get him on and uh, give him a bit of banner himself. <laughs> yeah. Mate, uh, you know, working as a lifeguard, we deal with the, so many different things. And one that stands out is fishermen on rocks. Now, have you got a story about fishermen that wash in after – you know, a bit of a swell comes through. I do, Hop. You know what? It was – I wasn't too far into my traineeship. It was a kind of – it was a rainy day. And, and you say swell, but this day it was kind of flat. There was not much going on. And we actually – we got a call from a member of the public saying that there was a man kind of struggling with a backpack. He didn't look too good. So, look, we reacted pretty quickly to it, got everything ready. And by the time we were launching the ski – that lady, the member, the member of the public, said that he had actually started float, floating face down and then it was all systems go. It was on, you know, and especially as a young trainee, you know, ready to prove themselves. I was kind of, you know, ready for the challenge and, um, yeah, it was, it was a different experience. You know, launching the jet ski, the buggy got bogged, Beardy was just going crazy, going, we've got to get that out, we've got to do this. And we ended up, I think Jacko and Gons picked him up on the way back in, there was a bit of a sandbank, I think, next to um, Backpacker's Rip, and the, the, the ski got stuck on the sandbank, and it was all happening. It was all on. And um, me and Joel were waiting on the beach with Beardy. Oh, we were straight into the recess. I'm pretty sure, actually, this made the, the show, like, yeah, it was pretty full on. There would have been, I don't know, maybe three, 400 people on the promenade watching. Toll helicopter landed behind us, which was wild. But I guess for a... Someone young like me that's just come into a first responder job to have the toll doctor there. We had four ambulance paramedics there, you know, Beardy, me and Joel all doing a recess. To have that kind of knowledge around us while doing something so extreme, yeah, it was full on. And it shows, though, that, you know, things can go wrong. That That's why we do all the training and we prepare so much because it only takes one or two things that, that go wrong and that can uh, cost yeah, a bit of time and then also can cost people their life. Yeah, 100%. And look, one of the big things that Beardy was very clear with us is that, you know, this this wasn't a guy that went swimming in the flags or was swimming on the beach. He fell off way around South Bondi, didn't know how to swim, you know, the poor fella. He just slipped in. I guess we did everything we could on the beach. We actually got him back. In the show, it says that we put him into the ambulance with a pulse. What they don't tell you is that, we were working on him for about 10 minutes. We got a pulse. We picked him up and walked about 20 meters and he died again because we had uh, the monitors on him. So we put him back down, went again, got him back, walked another 50 meters just before the stairs and he died again. And we were just, I was going, what is going on here? Like, this is ridiculous. And then we ended up getting him back and then, look, we got him in the ambulance with a pulse, but he didn't make it. But Without the training that I would have done through you, through the older guys with Jamie Twite, it, there's no way I would have felt calm in that situation. If I didn't know what I was doing, I probably, not freaked out, but I would have been a little bit spaced out. But I found myself going to this really cool kind of rhythm and zone while doing the job. And we ended up, you know, giving him the best shot and unfortunately he didn't come back, but that's just the way it is. Yeah, mate, you don't get them all back. And, and as you said, the circumstances where... You know, he's way out off the point, he's, he's fishing, he's fallen in. You know, there's a time there before someone lets us know that this has happened and, 
it's uh, a tragic, but you know we have to do what we do best, and and uh, you know unfortunately sometimes we don't get the result we want. No, and look, I feel um, the, the kind of camaraderie and bond that you get with the boys, especially after doing a job like that, you know, everyone starts working in sync. And um, it was pretty amazing to see everyone do their job, do it effectively, really good guidance from the older guys. And then after two, you know, the debrief, the sit down, what could we have done better? How could have we done this? Like that's a very important part of the job as well, which, you know, you've taught me and everyone else has taught me is, after a resus or a rescue, a first aid, figure out what you could have done better. And then each one after that, you, you know, you feel definitely feel more comfortable and more secure in what you're doing. Mate, it's great having you in the beach shack and to hear your story and everything and how you dealt with and, and how you think about it future in, the, you know, with lifeguarding. So, mate, we'll catch up soon. Thanks, Hop. See you around. Now it's time to have a listen to the fans in the mailbag. This week's letter in the mailbag is from Gary and he's from Sydney. He says, using the jet skis compared to using an IRB, what is the best equipment for rescues? Well, Gary, back in the day, IRBs have been around a long time and we did have them when I started as a lifeguard back in the early 90s. But since then, when the jet skis came along, I think our first one was around 1997, uh, the two-stroke jet ski, it changed the way that we lifeguarded. Now, we've got the four-stroke Yamahas, which are an amazing piece of equipment, and it makes our job so much easier. It doesn't matter how big the surf is or how small the surf is. When it's a busy day and you put the jet ski in the water, it really helps us man the beach, and we don't need as many lifeguards when we've got the one person on the jet ski that can do the rescues in multiple rips and in half the time than what we do with the rescue board. So definitely the jet skis are the way to go. But, mate, uh, Gary, thanks for your letter, and we'll catch you all again next week. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Remember to subscribe to Life's a Beach wherever you get your podcasts and hit us up with questions, comments, or follow us on our social media channels, which you can find in our show notes. That's it for today, beach fans. Stay safe and swim between the flags.